John Calvin's reply to the letter of Cardinal Sadelet, part two, by John Calvin. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. In the case of the Eucharist, you blame us for attempting to confine the Lord of the universe and his divine and spiritual power, which is perfectly free and infinite, within the corners of a corporeal nature with its circumscribed boundaries. What end, pray, will there be to calumny? We have always distinctly testified that not only the divine power of Christ, but his essence also, is diffused over all and defined by no limits and yet you hesitate not to upbraid us with confining it within the corners of corporeal nature how so because we are unwilling with you to chain down his body to earthly elements but had you any regard for sincerity assuredly you are not ignorant how great a difference there is between the two things between removing the local presence of christ's body from bread and circumscribing his spiritual power within bodily limits nor ought you to charge our doctrine with novelty since it was always held by the church as an acknowledged point but as this subject alone would extend to a volume in order that both of us may escape so toilsome a discussion the better course will be for you to read augustine's epistle to dardanus where you will find how one and the same christ more than fills heaven and earth with the vastness of his divinity and yet is not everywhere diffused in respect of his humanity we loudly proclaim the communion of flesh and blood which is exhibited to believers in the supper, and we distinctly show that the flesh is truly meat and that blood truly drink, that the soul, not contented with an imaginary conception, enjoys them in very truth. That presence of Christ by which we are engrafted in him, we by no means exclude from the supper, nor shroud in darkness, though we hold that there must be no local limitation that the glorious body of Christ must not be degraded to earthly elements, that there must be no fiction of transubstantiating the bread into Christ and afterwards worshipping it as Christ. We explain the dignity and end of this solemn rite in the loftiest terms which we can employ, and then declare how great the advantages which we derive from it. Almost all these things are neglected by you, for overlooking the divine beneficence which is here bestowed upon us, overlooking the legitimate use of so great a benefit, the topics on which it were becoming most especially to dwell you count it enough that the people gaze stupidly at the visible sign without any understanding of the spiritual mystery in condemning your gross dogma of transubstantiation and declaring that stupid adoration which detains the minds of men among the elements and permits them not to rise to christ to be perverse and impious we have not acted without the concurrence of the ancient church under whose shadow you endeavour in vain to hide the very vile superstitions to which you are here addicted in auricular confession we have disapproved of that law of innocent which enjoins every man once a year to pass all his sins in review before his priest it would be tedious to enumerate all the reasons which induced us to abrogate it but that the thing was nefarious is apparent even from this that pious consciences which formerly boiled with perpetual anxiety have at length begun after being freed from that dire torment to rest with confidence in the divine favour to say nothing meanwhile of the many disasters which it brought upon the church and which justly entitle us to hold it in execration for the present take this for our answer that it was neither commanded by christ nor practised by the ancient church we have forcibly wrested from the hands of the sophists all the passages of scripture which they had contrived to distort in support of it 
while the common books on ecclesiastical history show that it had no existence in an earlier age. The testimonies of the fathers are to the same effect. It is therefore mere deception when you say that the humility therein manifested was enjoined and instituted by Christ and the Church, for though there appears in it a certain show of humility, it is very far from being true that every kind of abasement which assumes the name of humility is commended by God. Accordingly, Paul teaches, Colossians 2.18, that the humility only is genuine which is framed in conformity to the word of God. In asserting the intercession of the saints, if all you mean is that they continually pray for the completion of Christ's kingdom, on which the salvation of all the faithful depends, there is none of us who calls it in question. Accordingly, you have lost your pains in laboring this part so much, but no doubt you were unwilling to lose the opportunity of repeating the false asseveration which charges us with thinking that the soul perishes with the body. That philosophy we leave to your popes and college of cardinals, by whom it was for many years most faithfully cultivated, and ceases not to be cultivated in the present day. To them also your subsequent remark applies, viz. to live luxuriously and without any solicitude concerning a future life, and hold us miserable wretches in derision for labouring so anxiously in behalf of the kingdom of Christ. But in regard to the intercession of the saints, we insist on a point which it is not strange that you omit. For here innumerable superstitions were to be cut off, superstitions which had risen to such a height that the intercession of Christ was utterly erased from men's thoughts, saints were invoked as gods, the peculiar offices of deity were distributed among them, and worship paid to them which differed in nothing from that ancient idolatry which we all deservedly execrate as to purgatory we know that ancient churches made some mention of the dead in their prayers but it was done seldom and soberly and consisted only of a few words it was in short a mention in which it was obvious that nothing more was meant than to attest in passing the affection which was felt toward the dead as yet the architects were unborn by whom your purgatory was built and who afterwards enlarged it to such a width and raised it to such a height that it now forms the chief prop of your kingdom you yourself know what a hydra of errors thence emerged you know what tricks superstition has at its own hand devised wherewith to disport itself you know how many impostures avarice has here fabricated in order to milk men of every class you know how great detriment it has done to piety for not to mention how much true worship has in consequence decayed the worst result certainly was that while all without any command from god were vying with each other in helping the dead they utterly neglected the congenial offices of charity which are so strongly enjoined i will not permit you Sadelet, by inscribing the name of church on such abominations both to defame her against all law and justice and prejudice the ignorant against us as if we were determined to wage war with the church for though we admit that in ancient times some seeds of superstition were sown which detracted somewhat from the purity of the gospel still you know that it is not so long ago since these monsters of impiety with which we war were born or at least grew to such a size indeed in attacking breaking down and destroying your kingdom we are armed not only with the energy of the divine word but with the aid of the holy fathers also that i may altogether disarm you of the authority of the church which as your shield of ajax you ever and anon oppose to us i will show by some additional examples how widely you differ from that holy antiquity we accuse you of overthrowing the ministry of which the empty name remains with you without the reality as far as the office of feeding the people is concerned the very children perceive that 
bishops and presbyters are dumb statues while men of all ranks know by experience that they are active only in robbing and devouring we are indignant that in the room of the sacred supper has been substituted a sacrifice by which the death of christ is emptied of its virtues we exclaim against the execrable traffic in masses and we complain that the supper of the lord as to one of its halves has been stolen from the christian people we inveigh against the accursed worship of images we show that the sacraments are vitiated by many profane notions we tell how indulgences crept in with fearful dishonour to the cross of christ we lament that by means of human traditions christian liberty has been crushed and destroyed of these and similar pests we have been careful to purge the churches which the lord has committed to us expostulate with us if you can for the injury which we inflicted on the catholic church by daring to violate its sacred sanctions the fact is now too notorious for you to gain anything by denying it viz that in all these points the ancient church is clearly on our side and opposes you not less than we ourselves do but here we are met by what you say when in order to palliate matters you allege that though your manners should be irregular that is no reason why we should make a schism in the holy church it is scarcely possible that the minds of the common people should not be greatly alienated from you by the many examples of cruelty avarice intemperance arrogance insolence lust and all sorts of wickedness which are openly manifested by men of your order but none of those things would have driven us to the attempt which we made under a much stronger necessity that necessity was that the light of divine truth had been extinguished the word of god buried the virtue of christ left in profound oblivion and the pastoral office subverted meanwhile impiety so stalked abroad that almost no doctrine of religion was pure from admixture no ceremony free from error no part however minute of divine worship untarnished by superstition do those who contend against such evils declare war against the church and not rather assist her in her extreme distress and yet you would take credit for your obedience and humility in refraining through veneration for the church from applying your hand to the removal of these abominations what has a christian man to do with that prevaricating obedience which while the word of god is licentiously condemned yields its homage to human vanity what has he to do with that contumacious and rude humility which despising the majesty of god only looks up with reverence to men have done with empty names of virtue and employed merely as cloaks for vice and let us exhibit the thing itself in its true colours ours be the humility which beginning with the lowest and paying respect to each in his degree yields the highest honour and respect to the church in subordination however to christ the church's head ours the obedience which while it disposes us to listen to our elders and superiors tests all obedience by the word of god in fine ours the church whose supreme care it is humbly and religiously to venerate the word of god and submit to its authority but what arrogance you will say to boast that the church is with you alone and to deny it to all the world besides we indeed sadlet deny not that those over which you preside are churches of christ but we maintain that the roman pontiff with his whole herd of pseudo bishops who have seized upon the pastor's office are ravening wolves whose only study has hitherto been to scatter and trample upon the kingdom of christ filling it with ruin and devastation nor are we the first to make the complaint with what vehemence does bernard thunder against eugenius and all the bishops of his own age yet how much more tolerable was its condition then than now 
for iniquity has reached its height and now those shadowy prelates by whom you think the church stands or perishes and by whom we say that she has been cruelly torn and mutilated and brought to the very brink of destruction can bear neither their vices nor the cure of them destroyed the church would have been had not god with singular goodness prevented for in all places where the tyranny of the roman pontiff prevails you scarcely see as many stray and tattered vestiges as will enable you to perceive that there churches lie half buried nor should you think this absurd since paul tells you two thessalonians two four that antichrist would have his seat in no other place than in the midst of god's sanctuary ought not this single warning to put us on our guard against tricks and devices which may be practised in the name of the church but whatever the character of the men, still you say it is written, what they tell you, do. No doubt, if they sit in the chair of Moses. But when, from the chair of verity, they intoxicate the people with folly, it is written, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Matthew 16.6 It is not ours, Sadolette, to rob the church of any right, which the goodness of God not only has conceded to her, but strictly guarded for her by numerous prohibitions. For as pastors are not sent forth by him to rule the church with a licentious and lawless authority, but are restricted to a certain rule of duty which they must not exceed, so the church is ordered, 1 Thessalonians 5.21, 1 John 4.1, to see that those who are appointed over her on these terms faithfully accord with their vocation. But we must either hold the testimony of Christ of little moment, or must hold it impious to infringe in the least degree on the authority of those whom he has invested with such splendid titles. Nay, it is you who are mistaken in supposing that the Lord set tyrants over his people to rule them at pleasure, when he bestowed so much authority on those whom he sent to promulgate the gospel. Your error lies here, viz. in not reflecting that their power, before they were furnished with it, was circumscribed within certain limits we admit therefore that ecclesiastical pastors are to be heard just like christ himself but they must be pastors who execute the office entrusted to them and this office we maintain is not presumptuously to introduce whatever their own pleasure has rashly devised but religiously and in good faith to deliver the oracles which they have received at the mouth of the lord for within these boundaries christ confined the reverence which he required to be paid to the apostles nor does peter one peter four eleven either claim for himself or allow to others anything more than that as often as they speak among the faithful they speak as from the mouth of the lord paul indeed justly extols two corinthians thirteen ten the spiritual power with which he was invested but with this proviso that it was to avail only for edification was to wear no semblance of domination was not to be employed in subjugating faith let your pontiff then boast as he may of the succession of peter even should he make good his title to it he will establish nothing more than that obedience is due to him from the christian people so long as he himself maintains his fidelity to christ and deviates not from the purity of the gospel for the church of the faithful does not force you into any other order than that in which the lord wished you to stand when it tests you by that rule by which all your power is defined the order, I say, which the Lord himself instituted among the faithful, viz. that a prophet holding the place of teacher should be judged by the congregation. 1 Corinthians 14.29 Whoever exempts himself from this must first expunge his name from the list of prophets. And here a very wide field for exposing your ignorance opens upon me, since in matters of religious controversy all that you leave to the faithful is to shut their own eyes and to submit implicitly to their teachers.' 
but since it is certain that every soul which depends not on god alone is enslaved to satan how miserable must they be who are imbued with such rudiments of faith hence i observe satellite that you have too indolent a theology as is almost always the case with those who have never had experience in serious struggles of conscience for otherwise you would never place a christian man on ground so slippery nay so precipitous that he can scarcely stand a moment if even the slightest push is given him give me i say not some unlearned man from among the people but the rudest clown and if he is to belong to the flock of god he must be prepared for that warfare which he has ordained for all the godly an armed enemy is at hand on the alert to engage an enemy most skilful and unassailable by mortal strength to resist him with what guards must not that poor man be defended with what weapons armed if he is not to be instantly annihilated paul informs us ephesians six seventeen that the only sword with which he can fight is the word of the lord a soul therefore when deprived of the word of god is given up unarmed to the devil for destruction now then will not the first machination of the enemy be to wrest the sword from the soldier of christ and what the method of wresting it but to set him a doubting whether it be the word of the lord that he is leaning upon or the word of man what will you do for this unhappy being will you bid him look round for learned men on whom reclining he may take his rest but the enemy will not leave him so much as a breathing time in this subterfuge for when once he has driven him to lean upon men he will keep urging and repeating his blows until he throws him over the precipice thus he must either be easily overthrown or he must forsake man and look directly to god so true it is that christian faith must not be founded on human testimony nor propped up by doubtful opinion not reclined on human authority but engraven on our hearts by the finger of the living god so as not to be obliterated by any colouring of error there is nothing of christ then in him who does not hold the elementary principle that it is god alone who enlightens our minds to perceive his truth who by his spirit seals it on our hearts and by his sure attestation to it confirms our conscience this is if i may so express it that full and firm assurance commended by paul and which as it leaves no room for doubt so not only does it not hesitate and waver among human arguments as to which party it ought to adhere but maintains its consistency though the whole world should oppose hence arises that power of judging which we attribute to the church and wish to preserve unimpaired for how much soever the world may fluctuate and jar with contending opinions the faithful soul is never so destitute as not to have a straight course to salvation i do not however dream of a perspicacity of the faith which never errs in discriminating between truth and falsehood is never deceived nor do i figure to myself an arrogance which looks down as from a height on the whole human race waits for no man's judgment and makes no distinction between learned and unlearned on the contrary i admit that pious and truly religious minds do not always attain to all the mysteries of god but are sometimes blind in the clearest matters the lord doubtless so providing in order to accustom them to modesty and submission again i admit that they have such a respect for all good men not to say the church that they do not easily allow themselves to be separated from any man in whom they have discovered a true knowledge of christ so that sometimes they choose rather to suspend their judgment than to rush on slight grounds into dissent i only contend that so long as they insist on the word of the lord they are never so caught as to be led away to destruction while their conviction of the truth of the word of god is so clear and certain that it cannot be overthrown by either men or angels 
away then with that nugatory simplicity which you say becomes the rude and illiterate of looking up and yielding to the beck of those who are more learned for besides that the name of faith is undeservedly bestowed on any religious persuasion however obstinate which rests anywhere but in god who can give such a name to some i know not what wavering opinion which is not only easily wrested from them by the arts of the devil but fluctuates of its own accord with the temper of the times and of which no other end can be hoped for than that it will at length vanish away as for your assertion that our only aim in shaking off this tyrannical yoke was to set ourselves free for unbridled licentiousness after so help us casting away all thoughts of future life let judgment be given after comparing our conduct with yours we abound indeed in numerous faults too often do we sin and fall still though truth would modesty will not permit me to boast how far we excel you in every respect unless perchance you are to accept rome that famous abode of sanctity which having burst asunder the cords of pure discipline and trodden all honour under foot has so overflowed with all kinds of iniquity that scarcely anything so abominable has ever been before we behoved forsooth to expose our heads to so many perils and dangers that we might not after her example be placed under too severe constraint but we have not the least objection that the discipline which was sanctioned by ancient canons should be in force in the present day and be carefully and faithfully observed nay we have always protested that the miserable condition into which the church had fallen was owing to nothing more than to its innovation by luxury and indulgence for the body of christ to cohere well must be bound together by discipline as with sinews but how on your part is discipline either observed or desired where are those ancient canons with which like a bridle bishops and presbyters were kept to their duty how are your bishops elected after what trial what examination what care what caution how are they inducted to their office with what order what solemnity they merely take an official oath that they will perform the pastoral office and this apparently for no other end than that they may add perjury to their other iniquities since then in seizing upon ecclesiastical offices they seem to enter upon an authority astricted by no law they think themselves free to do as they please and hence it is that among pirates and robbers there is apparently more justice and regular government more effect given to law than by all your order but since towards the end a person has been introduced to plead our cause and you have cited us as defenders to the tribunal of god i have no hesitation in calling upon you there to meet me for such is our consciousness of the truth of our doctrine for it has no dread of the heavenly judge from whom we doubt not that it proceeded but it dwells not on those frivolities with which it has pleased you to amuse yourself certainly very much out of place for what more unseasonable than after you had come into the presence of god to set about devising i know not what follies and framing for us an absurd defence which must instantly fail in pious minds as often as that day is suggested the impression made is too solemn to leave them at leisure so to disport themselves therefore frivolity aside let us think of that day in expectation of which the minds of men ought ever to be on the watch and let us remember that while it is a day to be desired by the faithful it is also one at which the ungodly and profane and those who are despisers of god may well be alarmed let us turn our ears to the clang of that trumpet which even the ashes of the dead shall hear in their tombs 
let us direct our thoughts and minds to that judge who by the mere brightness of his countenance will disclose whatever lurks in darkness lay open all the secrets of the human heart and crush all the wicked by the mere breath of his mouth consider now what serious answer you are to make for yourself and your party our cause as it is supported by the truth of god will be at no loss for a complete defence i speak not of our persons whose safety will be found not in defence but in humble confession and suppliant deprecation but in so far as our ministry is concerned there is none of us who will not be able thus to speak o lord i have indeed experienced how difficult and grievous it was to bear the invidious accusations with which i was harassed on the earth but with the same confidence with which i then appealed to thy tribunal i now appear before thee because i know that in thy judgment truth always reigns that truth by whose assurance supported i first ventured to attempt with whose assistance provided i was able to accomplish whatever i have achieved in thy church they charged me with two of the worst of crimes heresy and schism and the heresy was that i dared to protest against dogmas which they received but what could i have done i heard from thy mouth that there was no other light of truth which could direct our souls into the way of life than that which was kindled by thy word i heard that whatever human minds of themselves conceive concerning thy majesty the worship of thy deity and the mysteries of thy religion was vanity i heard that their introducing into the church instead of thy word doctrines sprung from the human brain was sacrilegious presumption but when i turned my eyes towards men i saw very different principles prevailing those who were regarded as the leaders of faith neither understood thy word nor greatly cared for it they only drove unhappy people to and fro with strange doctrines and deluded them with i know not what follies among the people themselves the highest veneration paid to thy word was to revere it at a distance as a thing inaccessible and abstain from all investigation of it owing to this supine state of the pastors and this stupidity of the people every place was filled with pernicious errors falsehoods and superstition they indeed called thee the only god but it was while transferring to others the glory which thou hast claimed for thy majesty they figured and had for themselves as many gods as they had saints whom they chose to worship thy christ was indeed worshipped as god and retained the name of saviour but where he ought to have been honoured he was left almost without honour for spoiled of his own virtue he passed unnoticed among the crowd of saints like one of the meanest of them there was none who duly considered that one sacrifice which he offered on the cross and by which he reconciled us to thyself none who ever dreamed of thinking of his eternal priesthood and the intercession depending upon it none who trusted in his righteousness only that confident hope of salvation which is both enjoined by thy word and founded upon it had almost vanished nay it was received as a kind of oracle that it was foolish arrogance and as they termed it presumption for any one trusting to thy goodness and the righteousness of thy son to entertain a sure and unfaltering hope of salvation not a few profane opinions plucked up by the roots the first principles of that doctrine which thou hast delivered to us in thy word the true meaning of baptism and the lord's supper also were corrupted by numerous falsehoods and then when all with no small insult to thy mercy put confidence in good works when by good works they strove to merit thy favour to procure justification to expiate their sins and make satisfaction to thee each of these things obliterating and making void the virtue of christ's cross they were yet altogether ignorant 
wherein good works consisted. For just as if they were not at all instructed in righteousness by thy law, they had fabricated for themselves many useless frivolities as a means of procuring thy favour, and on these they so plumed themselves that, in comparison of them, they almost condemned the standard of true righteousness which thy law recommended. To such a degree had human desires, after usurping the ascendancy, derogated, if not from the belief, at least from the authority, of thy precepts therein contained. That I might perceive these things, thou, O Lord, didst shine upon me with the brightness of thy spirit, that I might comprehend how impious and noxious they were. Thou didst bear before me the torch of thy word, that I might abominate them as they deserved. Thou didst stimulate my soul. But in rendering an account of my doctrine, thou seest what my own conscience declares, that it was not my intention to stray beyond those limits which I saw had been fixed by all thy servants. Whatever I felt assured that I had learned from thy mouth, I desired to dispense faithfully to the church. Assuredly, the thing at which I chiefly aimed, and for which I most diligently laboured, was that the glory of thy goodness and justice, after dispersing the mists by which it was formerly obscured, might shine forth conspicuous, that the virtue and blessings of thy Christ, all glosses being wiped away, might be fully displayed. For I thought it impious to leave in obscurity things which we were born to ponder and meditate nor did i think that truths whose magnitude no language can express were to be maliciously or falsely declared i hesitated not to dwell at greater length on topics on which the salvation of my hearers depended for the oracle could never deceive which declares john seventeen three this is eternal life to know thee the only true god and jesus christ whom thou hast sent as to the charge of forsaking the church which they were wont to bring against me, there is nothing of which my conscience accuses me, unless, indeed, he is to be considered a deserter, who, seeing the soldiers routed and scattered, and abandoning their ranks, raises the leader's standard and recalls them to their posts. For thus, O Lord, were all thy servants dispersed, so that they could not, by any possibility, hear the command, but had almost forgotten their leader, and their service, and their military oath. In order to bring them together, when thus scattered, I raise not a foreign standard, but that noble banner of thine, whom we must follow, if we would be classed among thy people. Then I was assailed by those who, when they ought to have kept others in their ranks, had led them astray, and when I determined not to desist, opposed me with violence. On this grievous tumults arose, and the contest blazed and issued in disruption. With whom the blame rests, it is for thee, O Lord, to decide. Always, both by word and deed have I protested how eager I was for unity. Mine, however, was the unity of the church, which should begin with thee and end in thee. For as oft as thou didst recommend to us peace and concord, thou at the same time didst show that thou wert the only bond for preserving it. But if I desired to be at peace with those who boasted of being the heads of the church and pillars of faith, I behoved to purchase it with the denial of thy truth." I thought that anything was to be endured sooner than stoop to such a nefarious paction. For thy anointed himself hath declared that though heaven and earth should be confounded, yet thy word must endure for ever. Matthew 24.35 Nor did I think that I dissented from thy church, because I was at war with those leaders. For thou hast forewarned me, both by thy son and by the apostles, that that place would be occupied by persons to whom I ought by no means to consent. Christ had predicted not of strangers, but of men who should give themselves out for pastors, that they would be ravenous wolves and false prophets, 
and had at the same time cautioned to beware of them where christ ordered me to beware was i to lend my aid and the apostles declared that there would be no enemies of thy church more pestilential than those from within who should conceal themselves under the title of pastors matthew seven fifteen acts twenty twenty nine two peter two one one john two eighteen why should i have hesitated to separate myself from the persons whom they forewarned me to hold as enemies i had before my eyes the examples of thy prophets who i saw had a similar contest with the priests and prophets of their day though these were undoubtedly the rulers of the church among the israelitish people but thy prophets are not regarded as schismatics because when they wished to revive religion which had fallen into decay they resisted not although opposed with the utmost violence they still remained in the unity of the church though they were doomed to perdition by wicked priests and deemed unworthy of a place among men not to say saints confirmed by their example i too persisted though denounced as a deserter of the church and threatened i was in no respect deterred or induced to proceed less firmly and boldly in opposing those who in the character of pastors wasted thy church with a more than impious tyranny my conscience told me how strong the zeal was with which i burned for the unity of thy church provided thy truth were made the bond of concord as the commotions which followed were not excited by me so there is no ground for imputing them to me thou o lord knowest and the fact itself has testified to men that the only thing i asked was that all controversies should be decided by thy word that thus both parties might unite with one mind to establish thy kingdom and i declined not to restore peace to the church at the expense of my head if i were found to have been unnecessarily the cause of tumult but what did our opponents did they not instantly and like madmen fly to fires swords and gibbets did they not decide that their only security was in arms and cruelty did they not instigate all ranks to the same fury did they not spurn at all methods of pacification to this it is owing that a matter which might at one time have been settled amicably has blazed into such a contest but although amidst the great confusion the judgments of men were various i am freed from all fear now that we stand at thy tribunal where equity combined with truth cannot but decide in favour of innocence such satellite is our pleading not the fictitious one which you in order to aggravate our cause were pleased to devise but that the perfect truth of which is known to the good even now and will be made manifest to all creatures in that day nor will those who instructed by our preaching have adhered to our cause be at a loss what to say for themselves since each will be ready with this defence i o lord as i had been educated from a boy always professed the christian faith but at first i had no other reason for my faith than that which then everywhere prevailed thy word which ought to have shone on all thy people like a lamp was taken away or at least suppressed as to us and lest any one should long for greater light an idea had been instilled into the minds of all that the investigation of that hidden celestial philosophy was better delegated to a few whom the others might consult as oracles that the highest knowledge befitting plebeian minds was to subdue themselves into obedience to the church then the rudiments in which i had been instructed were of a kind which could neither properly train me to the legitimate worship of thy deity nor pave the way for me to a sure hope of salvation nor train me aright for the duties of the christian life i had learned indeed to worship thee only as my god but as the true method of worshipping was altogether unknown to me i stumbled at the very threshold 
I believed, as I had been taught, that I was redeemed by the death of thy Son from liability to eternal death, and the redemption I thought of was one whose virtue could never reach me. I anticipated a future resurrection, but hated to think of it, as being an event most dreadful. And this feeling not only had dominion over me in private, but was derived from the doctrine which was then uniformly delivered to the people by their Christian teachers. They indeed preached of thy clemency towards men, but confined it to those who should show themselves deserving of it. They, moreover, placed this desert in the righteousness of works, so that he only was received into thy favour who reconciled himself to thee by works. Nor, meanwhile, did they disguise the fact that we are miserable sinners, that we often fall through infirmity of the flesh, and that to all, therefore, thy mercy behoved to be the common haven of salvation. But the method of obtaining it, which they pointed out, was by making satisfaction to thee for offences. Then the satisfaction enjoined was, first, after confessing all our sins to a priest, suppliantly to ask pardon and absolution, and secondly, by good, to efface from thy remembrance our bad actions. Lastly, in order to supply what was still wanting, we were to add sacrifices and solemn expiations. Then, because thou wert a stern judge and a strict avenger of iniquity, they showed how dreadful thy presence must be. Hence they bade us flee first to the saints, that by their intercession thou mightest be rendered exorable and propitious to us. When, however, I had performed all these things, though I had some intervals of quiet, I was still far off from true peace of conscience, for whenever I descended into myself or raised my mind to thee, extreme terror seized me, terror which no expiations nor satisfactions could cure. And the more closely I examined myself, the sharper the stings with which my conscience was pricked, so that the only solace which remained to me was to delude myself by obliviousness. Still, as nothing better offered, I continued the course which I had begun, when, lo, a very different form of doctrine started up, not one which led us away from the Christian profession, but one which brought it back to its fountainhead, and, as it were, cleared away the dross, restored it to its original purity. Offended by the novelty, I lent an unwilling ear, and at first, I confess, strenuously and passionately resisted, for such is the firmness or effrontery with which it is natural to men to persist in the course which they have once undertaken. It was with the greatest difficulty I was induced to confess that I had all my life long been in ignorance and error. One thing in particular made me averse to those new teachers, viz. reverence for the church. But when once I opened my ears and allowed myself to be taught, I perceived that this fear of derogating from the majesty of the church was groundless, for they reminded me how great the difference is between schism from the church and studying to correct the faults by which the church herself was contaminated. They spoke nobly of the church and showed the greatest desire to cultivate unity, and lest it should seem they quibbled on the term church, they showed it was no new thing for antichrists to preside there in place of pastors. Of this they produced not a few examples from which it appeared that they aimed at nothing but the edification of the church, and in that respect were similarly circumstanced with many of Christ's servants, whom we ourselves included in the catalogue of saints. For inveighing more freely against the Roman pontiff, who was reverenced as the vice-regent of Christ, the successor of Peter and the head of the church, they excused themselves thus. Such titles as those are empty bugbears, by which the eyes of the pious ought not to be so blinded as not to venture to look at them and sift the reality. It was when the world was plunged in ignorance and sloth, as in a deep sleep, that the Pope had risen to such an eminence, 
certainly neither appointed head of the church by the word of god nor ordained by a legitimate act of the church but of his own accord self-elected moreover the tyranny which he let loose against the people of god was not to be endured if we wished to have the kingdom of christ amongst us in safety and they wanted not most powerful arguments to confirm all their positions first they clearly disposed of everything that was then commonly adduced to establish the primacy of the pope when they had taken away all these props they also by the word of god tumbled him from his lofty height on the whole they made it clear and palpable to learned and unlearned that the true order of the church had then perished that the keys under which the discipline of the church is comprehended had been altered very much for the worst that christian liberty had fallen in short that the kingdom of christ was prostrated when this primacy was reared up they told me moreover as a means of pricking my conscience that i could not safely connive at these things as if they concerned me not that so far art thou from patronizing any voluntary error that even he who is led astray by mere ignorance does not err with impunity this they proved by the testimony of thy son matthew fifteen fourteen if the blind lead the blind both shall fall into the ditch my mind being now prepared for serious attention i at length perceived as if light had broken in upon me in what a sty of error i had wallowed and how much pollution and impurity i had thereby contracted being exceedingly alarmed at the misery into which i had fallen and much more at that which threatens me in the view of eternal death i as in duty bound made it my first business to betake myself to thy way condemning my past life not without groans and tears and now o lord what remains to a wretch like me but instead of defence earnestly to supplicate thee not to judge according to its deserts that fearful abandonment of thy word from which in thy wondrous goodness thou hast at last delivered me now sadlet if you please compare this pleading with that which you have put into the mouth of your plebeian it will be strange if you hesitate which of the two you ought to prefer for the safety of that man hangs by a thread whose defence turns wholly on this that he has constantly adhered to the religion handed down to him from his forefathers at this rate jews and turks and saracens would escape the judgment of god away then with this vain quibbling at a tribunal which will be erected not to approve the authority of man but to condemn all flesh of vanity and falsehood and vindicate the truth of god only but were i disposed to contend with you in trifles what picture might i paint i say not of a pope or a cardinal or any reverend prelate whatsoever of your faction in what colours almost every man of them might without any great stretch of ingenuity be exhibited you know well but of any even the most select among your doctors for his condemnation there would assuredly be no need either to adduce doubtful conjectures against him or devise false accusations he would be burdened heavily enough with such as are certainly just but that i may not seem to imitate what i blame in you i decline this mode of pleading i will only exhort these men to turn for once to themselves and consider with what fidelity they feed the christian people who cannot have any other food than the word of their god and that they may not flatter themselves too much because they now act their part with great applause and for the most part amid favourable acclamations let them remember that they have not yet come to the conclusion at which assuredly they will not have a theatre on which to vend their smoke with impunity and by their tricks ensnare credulous minds but will stand or fall by the decision of god himself whose judgment will not be regulated by the popular gale but by his own inflexible justice 
and who will not only inquire into each man's deeds but put to proof the hidden sincerity or iniquity of his heart i dare not pronounce on all without exception and yet how many of them feel in their consciences that in contending against us they are hiring out their services to men rather than giving them to god while throughout your letter you treat us without mercy towards its conclusion you pour out the venom of your bitterness upon us with open mouth but though your invectives by no means hurt us and have already been partly answered i would yet ask what could make you think of accusing us of avarice think you our reformers were so dull as not to perceive from the very outset that they were entering on a course most adverse to gain and lucre and when they charged you with greediness did they not see that they were necessarily binding themselves to temperance and frugality if they were not to become ridiculous even to children when they showed that the method of correcting that greediness was to disburden pastors of their excessive wealth in order that they might be more at liberty to care for the church did they not spontaneously shut against themselves the avenue to wealth for what riches now remained to which they might aspire what would not the shortest road to riches and honours have been to have transacted with you at the very first on the terms which were offered how much would your pontiff then have paid to many for their silence how much would he pay for it even at the present day if they were actuated in the least degree by avarice why do they cut off all hope of improving their fortune and prefer to be thus perpetually wretched rather than enrich themselves without difficulty and in a twinkling but ambition forsooth withholds them what ground you have for this other insinuation i see not since those who first engaged in this cause could expect nothing else than to be spurned by the whole world and those who afterwards adhered to it exposed themselves knowingly and willingly to endless insults and revilings from every quarter but where is this fraud and inward malice no suspicion of such things cleaves to us talk of them rather in your sacred consistory where they are in operation every day as i hasten to a conclusion i am compelled to pass by your calumny that leaning entirely to our own judgment we find not in the whole church one individual to whom we think deference is due that it is a calumny i have already sufficiently demonstrated for although we hold that the word of god alone lies beyond the sphere of our judgment and that fathers and councils are of authority only in so far as they accord with the rule of the word we still give to councils and fathers such rank and honour as it is meet for them to hold under christ but the most serious charge of all is that we have attempted to dismember the spouse of christ were that true both you and the whole world might well regard us as desperate but i will not admit the charge unless you can make out that the spouse of christ is dismembered by those who desire to present her as a chaste virgin to christ who are animated by a degree of holy zeal to preserve her spotless for christ who seeing her polluted by base seducers recall her to conjugal fidelity who unhesitatingly wage war against all the adulterers whom they detect laying snares for her chastity and what but this have we done had not your faction of a church attempted nay violated her chastity by strange doctrines had she not been violently prostituted by your numberless superstitions had she not been defiled by that vilest species of adultery the worship of images and because forsooth we did not suffer you so to insult the sacred chamber of christ we are said to have lacerated his spouse but i tell you that that laceration of which you falsely accuse us is witnessed not obscurely among yourselves a laceration not only of the church but of christ himself who is there beheld miserably mangled 
how can the church adhere to her spouse while she has him not in safety for where is the safety of christ while the glory of his justice and holiness and wisdom is transferred elsewhere but it seems before we kindled the strife all was tranquillity and perfect peace true among pastors and also among the common people stupor and sloth had caused that there were almost no controversies respecting religion but in the schools how lustily did sophists brawl you cannot therefore take credit for a tranquil kingdom when there was tranquillity for no other reason than because christ was silent i admit that on the revival of the gospel great disputes arose where all was quietness before but that is unjustly imputed to our reformers who during the whole course of their proceedings desired nothing more than that religion being revived the churches which discord had scattered and dispersed might be gathered together into true unity and not to go back upon old transactions what sacrifices did they on a late occasion decline to make merely that they might procure peace to the churches but all their efforts are rendered vain by your opposition for while they desire peace that along with it the kingdom of christ may flourish and you on the other hand think that all which is gained to christ is lost to you it is not strange that you strenuously resist and you have arts by which you can in one day overturn all that they accomplish for the glory of christ in many months i will not overwhelm you with words because one word will make the matter clear our reformers offered to render an account of their doctrine if overcome in argument they decline not to submit to whom then is it owing that the church enjoys not perfect peace and the light of truth go now and charge us as seditious in not permitting the church to be quiet but that you might not omit anything which might tend to prejudice our cause since during these few years many sects have sprung up you with your usual candour lay the blame upon us see with what fairness or even with what plausibility if we deserve hatred on that account the christian name also must in times of old have deserved it from the ungodly therefore either cease to molest us on this subject or openly declare that the christian religion which begets so many tumults in the world ought to be banished from the memory of man it ought not to hurt our cause in the least that satan has tried in all ways to impede the work of christ it were more to the point to inquire which party has devotedly opposed itself to all the sects which have arisen it is plain that while you were idle and fast asleep we alone bore all the brunt the lord grant Sadolet, that you and all your party may at length perceive that the only true bond of ecclesiastical unity would exist if christ the lord who hath reconciled us to god the father were to gather us out of our present dispersion into the fellowship of his body that so through his one word and spirit we might join together with one heart and one soul basel september the first fifteen thirty nine end of john calvin's reply to the letter of cardinal satellite part two by john calvin